you know, everybody died instantaneously. But actually what happened was, of course, there were localized deaths near the impact site. But the real damage came in the coming centuries as all of the toxins and dust that were kicked up by that meteorite strike started to change the environment. And specifically, it caused really dramatic climate fluctuations that ruined habitats for many different dinosaur species. So what you would see is initial deaths and then a slow shift in the climate. And over time, many, many more species died out. And so at the end of a million-year period, you're looking back and you're seeing about 75% of all species dying out. But that didn't happen right away. So if this is the next mass extinction that we're already some thousand plus years into, how is it likely to play out, do you think? It's probably going to be a situation where we're going to see more and more animals go extinct. And it's going to be driven probably by things like habitat destruction. So we have climate changes going on. That leads to ocean acidification. When you load the environment with carbon, that causes the ocean to become acidified. And so that ruins habitats in the ocean. And meanwhile, on land, we're seeing all kinds of ways that habitats get destroyed, everything from human development to climate change, transforming the way that plants can grow and things like that. So what you'd likely see in the long term is a lot of famine and starvation, because when environments change, what actually happens is animals don't get enough food to eat and plants don't get enough access to the kinds of temperatures they need and things like that. So likely we would see more and more die-offs as a result of habitat change. And then as more animals are dying off and as more plants are dying off, any animals and plants that depend on those creatures that have died out, well, those are going to die out too. We call that a knock-on extinction event. And my hope is that over time, we can use what we've learned from geological history and use our science and our technology, I suppose, to deal with this problem. And I say technology, I suppose, because I think that a lot of the solutions to the climate problems that we're going to be facing may not look like technology as we know it. I don't think we're going to use giant machines to solve this problem. I think we're going to have to learn how to create science and technology that behave more like part of the environment mm. and that are not destroying the environment. Well, let's talk about some of the particular reasons you feel optimistic. For instance, you're kind of high on the potential in algae. I am. I love algae. <laughs> Blue-green algae specifically, which is actually cyanobacteria. It was classified as algae kind of incorrectly, and now we know it's a form of bacteria. Isn't that the stuff that grows in farm ponds that we're all supposed to avoid? It looks like scum on top of the water. Some species of it can be a little bit toxic, but the blue-green type that's that blue-green color is just fine. You can go and pet it and have a conversation <laughs> with it if you want. The thing that's great about cyanobacteria is that it's one of the world's most powerful survival species. It has survived every single mass extinction on the planet, and it's done it for two reasons. One, it's incredibly adaptable, and two, it's figured out a way to live almost anywhere on the planet by inventing something that humans have just invented really recently, which is solar power. These creatures are the very first photosynthesizers on the planet, as far as we know. Billions of years ago, they started using sunlight as a form of energy and have continued to do that. And in fact, 
plants evolved by using cyanobacteria and incorporating it into their cells in order to do photosynthesis themselves. Is there a way that we humans could figure out how to tap algae's capabilities? Yeah, there's scientists right now who are working on doing that in two ways. One would be to use technology to imitate how photosynthesis works and to create solar fuel generators. And there's a number of labs that are doing that. There's also labs that are working on using the algae itself to do things like create hydrogen fuel. So actually turning the algae into a part of a biological device. And those are both incredibly hopeful outcomes for science. And I think especially looking at how to change algae into something that we can use as a building block for solar-powered cities, for example, is a very interesting way of looking at how